Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just take another minute and thank him. Lift up your voices and thank him. All over this room, thank him. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of praise. Lord God, we worship you. We give you all the praise and glory. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We cry out because it's biblical to cry out to the Lord. Because he's worthy of high praise, we praise his name. Thank you, Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One, Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wow, wow, wow. Amen. Thank the Lord. Huh? Wow. Thank you. That was beautiful. Woo! I just love this, where we can worship in the round. You know, where the body is the, is the choir. And the worship instruments are surrounded by us. Well, what you just experienced, church is what I'm teaching on right now. Prophetic intercession warfare worship. That's what you experienced. It's not your average, typical kind of worship. Three songs in verse, choir, verse, choir, and you're out. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but what I am saying is that in this time and season we're in, there is a call on the remnant to intercessory worship that is unique, that is powerful, that is biblical, and that God is calling for. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time joining us at Embrace, we have been going through the book of Isaiah. In this book, I believe God is giving us instruction, prophetic, direct, specific instruction for right now, what's happening now in the church. And this is an incredible time in history. It's not like any time, right? We know this to be true. This is an unusual time of history, a time like no other time. And I believe it's not the time to just keep doing what we're doing, keep teaching the way we're teaching. God is trying to get our attention. And the book of Isaiah is the prophetic book he's using, I believe, in this time to get our attention, to tell us what is happening and why today, what we are to do, his church, how, when, and why we're to do it. And so as we continue in this book of Isaiah, last week I talked about, and I've been talking about the remnant that God talks about, Isaiah chapter 1 to verse chapter 4. And last week we talked about the name of this remnant is a branch of the Lord. The branch of the Lord. In other words, Christ is, is the vine and we are the branches. And there's one fruitful branch right now. All the other branches are barren. That represents the church at large. But there's one branch that's bearing fruit. That's his remnant that he's calling in this time and season. That he's calling for you and I. And as you recall, last week I pointed out 
the most significant thing, the one thing that has stopped in the church. You remember what that was? Worship. Think about it. Everything else went on. But the one thing that the enemy got to stop throughout the church worldwide was two or three gathering to worship. And all hell broke loose when the church stopped worshiping. That's why the church needs to assemble. Not to gather for more preaching. That can happen online. We're used to receiving messages online. That's been happening ever since I was a kid. I remember the preachers online. Man, they were on fire. I remember listening to them. Ever-increasing faith. I remember that guy, man. He was awesome. And all those other ministers online. But the one thing that stopped the church had not engaged in was corporate worship. And last week, I pressed into that pretty hard, and if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back, because I believe right now God is giving His remnant, His special forces remnant, specific assignments week after week, specific enemy positions that we are to worship over to break and pray through to break power. Break the strongholds. This is a time for 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Though I live in this world, I do not wage war as the world does. The weapons of my warfare have divine power to demolish strongholds. These strongholds are lies that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God in this country. Do you think there have been a few? Yeah. Just a few. Actually, a lot. Why? Because the church is no longer the conscience of this nation. And the consequence of not being the conscience is the father of lies is invading. And we know in the book of Revelation, he says, in the book of Revelation, he says, that one day the enemy wants all people to worship him. The beast wants people to worship him. That only happens when the church stops worshiping. Are you hearing me? Worship is at the key. And that is the reason why every church must open now to start to worship, however they do. Now, Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to continue on this theme. Last week I talked about a specific kind of worship that God's calling the remnant into. Intercessory warfare worship. And you got a glimpse of it today by what happened here. It was a combination of just the prophetic sound that came out and different categories of the type of worship that God is calling the church into. I'm going to teach on what prophetic warfare worship is so that you and I know biblically what God is calling the remnant into. It is found in chapter 5 of Isaiah. Please open your Bibles there. I, I'm going to, uh, we're going to do the best we can with lights. Try to get the lights up a little. I'm going to be teaching out of the Passion Translation. Thank you. So you can follow along if you have that translation. 
and hopefully the words are also on the screen. Holy Spirit, we are your remnant, the branch of the Lord. And you are calling us into a time of intercessory worship for the whole church for a great awakening of the bride. As your branch to awaken all the branches and restore the nourishment to every branch. So now we ask in Jesus' name that you fill us with a revelation we need for the task ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along as I read Isaiah chapter 5 in the Passion Translation. Let me sing a song for the one I love called My Lover in His Vineyard. My beloved planted a vineyard on a fertile hill. First he dug up its ground and hauled away its stones so he could plant within it choicest vines. He built a watchtower in the middle of it and carved a wine press out of its rock. He fully expected it to bear good grapes, but instead it produced only worthless wild grapes. Wow. So now, the residents of Jerusalem and the people of Judah, you will be judges. You will be the judges. What more could I have done for my vineyard when I expected it to bear luscious grapes? Why did it produce only wild, worthless grapes? So let me tell you what I am about to do to my vineyard. I will tear down its fences and it will be plundered. I will break down its walls and it will be destroyed. I will make it a wasteland. and No one will cultivate the land. It will grow only weeds and thorns. I will command the clouds and they will not drop their rain upon it. For Israel is the vineyard of Yahweh, the commander of angels' armies. And the people of Judah, the garden of his delight. When he waited for a crop of justice, he got a harvest of bloodshed. When he waited to reap fairness, he heard only the cries of victims. I'm going to pause there. Ponder those words. In this chapter, God describes the condition of his church in a parable. It's called the parable of the vineyard. And I'm going to give the 2020 insider perspective of the parable of the vineyard. But, but he does something much more here as he does this. This parable becomes a model for intercessory worship to the Lord. Because he tells Isaiah to sing it. Wow. Not just to learn it as a story to learn and apply, but he tells it as something to sing to him. See, this kingdom practice has been lost in recent decades and must be brought back of prophetic intercessory worship. See, this, this goes beyond our favorite tune or our favorite song that we sing or wondering what someone's doing next to you when worship's happening and wondering if this is permitted in the sanctuary or wondering where is this going. 
This is intercession at its deepest level in the most important hour in a time when God is saying this will be my finest hour. And I'm raising up a Gideon army. Ha <laughs> ha. God gives us three prophetic models in Isaiah chapter 5 for intercessory warfare worship. And they are the songs the remnant must sing over the bride, over the church. They are the songs we must sing. We must sing them every place we go. They must become the 24-7 cry of God's remnant to a merciful, loving Lord. These songs of intercession are what's needed to march around these walls of Jericho. The walls that have been built around California. The walls of deception. The walls of hopelessness. The walls of despair. The walls of defeat. I can't tell you the number of people. I'm out of here. I'm leaving this place. To be naive enough to think you can escape this? Really? Like it won't come towards you? If it gets past California? The walls that have been built up around the state of California are the walls the size of Jericho. God says it's time to march around the walls, church. Intercessory worship that makes no sense in the natural realm. Where are the lyrics? I don't see them. Where's the verse choir, verse choir? Why is the worship leader saying other words? Because this is warfare. And we either believe God will prevail or we don't. We either believe the church has a purpose or we don't. We can't straddle the fence. Not in this season. Not in this time. I want us to take a closer look at this. Chapter 5, God describes who's included in the vineyard. And Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For Israel is his vineyard of Yahweh, the commander of angel armies, and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight. See, Isaiah is saying the context for understanding Israel in this psalm in this parable, I should say, is the commander of angels' armies. Now, who's the commander of angels' armies? Jesus. So what he's saying is, this Israel is Jesus' vineyard. Now, who's in Jesus' vineyard? You are, and I am. Everyone who's called by his name. John 15.5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are my branches. 
all those called by my name. They, be, they are my Israel. They are my people. I came through Israel to save this world. So they now are the people. He says, the vineyard of Yahweh, the commander of angels' armies, the vineyard of Jesus. And it says, and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight. See, God, his son Jesus, has brought together his ecclesia, his church, his government, will have no end. It is to invade the political realm and every other sphere, and it will have no end. And Romans 9, 10 declares, who are his people? If you declare with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead, you'll be saved. Anyone who has believed in their hearts and confessed with their lips. God is saying, this is who I'm talking about. This is my vineyard, my son's vineyard. I... Oh, I went to a wedding yesterday, and I, I was, as, as always is when, you know, the, the dude comes, the groom comes down, that's cool, with the pastor, that's really cool, you know, and comes up, <clears throat> that's really cool. And then all the bridesmaids and the grooms come down, that's cool, that's all cool. But I was so reminded and struck by the most important point, please stand, introduced and everybody just for a split second <gasps> and, and I was there looking at this beautiful bride my niece and for a moment the Lord said this is how I want you to see my church my son is waiting for a bride God gives us this prophetic insight in chapter 5. He says, my beloved, you're my vineyard. Sing to me. It's ironic that our governor shut down the vineyard of God while he kept his own wine vineyard open. Do you realize that? Everything about this is so profoundly prophetic. Sign after sign after sign. But God's 2020 vineyard is his son's pride and joy. And this parable is one that God is describing. Remnant, I'm counting on you to, to, to be the ones I use to revive and awaken the church so I can present a bride to my son. God wants his remnant to sing intercessory warfare worship. It's what you experienced here. It's not your average worship. It's not your three songs and out. It's not, hey, let's go worship the Lord. It says, Lord, we come before you. We have nothing. But we come because we know you have everything. And we love you and we love your church. And we're going to sing over it. It's intentional. It's, it's, 
It's intentional. Knowing that we have a place to play. When 80% of the church is not gathering to worship. Millions of the enemy's forces are rushing in. Because the church isn't worshiping. There are three songs that Isaiah sings, the prophet sings. The singing prophet in chapter 5, there are three prophetic worship songs, warfare worship songs he sings. I'm going to put them on the screen. The first is a song of the vineyard out of verse 1 to 7. These are the songs of the love that we have for our Lord and the love he has for us. These would be the high praise and the worship, both and The second are the songs of woes. This is verse 8 to 23. These are the songs of praying for rescue, singing of God's rescue, singing from the affirmative that all things work together for those who believe in him, singing of his rescue, singing of the God of creation over all things above. It's the songs we sing, the songs of woes, but they're New Testament Jesus songs as we sing over the woes of what we've seen of what God sees God see God is telling the remnant I see you I see what's happening it's breaking my heart and I need a remnant to sing to me really he's saying I need a remnant to believe I can rescue you in song the songs of woes god is saying woe to the church you've done this and you've done this and you've done all these things woe to you as he says sing it isaiah sing it sing it don't just learn it don't just pray it but sing it sing it the third is the song of judgment Verse 24 to 30, these are the songs of repentance that we're to stand in the gap singing songs of repentance to God. Today I'm giving you an overview. Over the next several weeks I'm going to teach on each of these types of worship songs. I don't know if you've ever heard this teaching, but I believe it is for a time like this This is the call of the remnant. Intercessory, warfare, worship. It's a singing that's intentional. It's a singing that's organic. It's a singing that's led by the Holy Spirit. It's not about Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical worship. It's not about sensationist or continuous worship. It's it's all of that. Just lay it all down. This is, this is an all hands on deck. There's a blindness that needs to be lifted. And I'm just struck by the variety of methods God will use to awaken his people and bring repentance. But I, I want to today just focus on 
once again, giving us an understanding of why we need to sing these songs. In case we, we still are, are not completely 100 convinced of the, of the state of emergency we're in, not to give us panic, but for those called to hope, to stand in hope, knowing that you've been called to that, knowing that you have an assignment for that, knowing that you are the ones God has called See, the church is no longer the conscience of the state of California. And so the consequences of not being the conscience is hopelessness is the blanket. Defeat is the thought. And retreat is the action. Wow. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. This state's going to hell, and I'm not going to go with it. Wow. Who will go for me, says the Lord? Who will stand for me? Is there one that believes? Is there one? I can use just one. The moral compass of societies determines the direction of hope. When truth guides it, hope grows. When lies guides it, hopelessness grows. And there's a blanket of hopelessness over this state. A lack of a Luke 137 mandate. The very first message ever preached. When God became a fetus in a womb. Do you remember the first words the angel said? With God, nothing is impossible. That sums it up. And it comes a time to stand and take arms in the spirit and fight for future generations. And the good news is he's chosen us for such a fight. Wow, that's exciting. Barner Group, one of the most trusted research firms in Christianity, does incredible research. George Barna, he lives in Ventura. I've had the privilege to meet him a few times and work with his wife several times. She's amazing in homeless ministry when we had our homeless church. Did a report, published it in March of this year, 2020. The state of a church in America this year, right now. His research is telling. The report shows the long shift over the last 20 years has occurred in this country since the year 2000. Since the year 2000. The year 2000. Y2K. You remember that? A result of what happened from 2000 when three faith principles went dead in the church. Three faith principles. The first one was church attendance. A lot of mature Christians, ah, I'm not going to go to church anymore. It doesn't feed me, so I'm just going to do my own thing. I, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying a lot of mature believers just started because they were so frustrated 
with whatever in the church. I've heard this so many times. I meet mature believers all the time, and they're like, wow, you're really deep in the Lord. Where do you fellowship? I mean, I don't go to fellowship. I don't believe in that, at least not right now. I just do my own thing at home. The second thing was Bible reading. Actual reading the Bible weekly. The third thing was prayer. Prayer groups, prayer meetings. Those three things from 2000 to today, do you realize have collapsed in the church? On our watch. Practicing Christians, non-practicing Christians, and non-Christians are the three categories that Barna looks at. And these are all the groups that were once identified with Christianity. Practicing Christians identify as Christians, agree strongly that faith is very important in their lives. They've attended church within the past month. Non-practicing Christians self-identify as Christians, but do not qualify as practicing. They're just not practicing. Non-Christians are U.S. adults who no longer identify their worldview or their life as Christians. They might have been raised Christians. They might have been saved at one point, but they don't identify themselves as Christians anymore. Currently, today, only one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. In 2000, 45% of Americans qualified as practicing Christians today, 25% in 20 years. Combination of things. Mature believers who, man, they're just like, who just have walked away from church. And they're saying, hey, don't get mad at us. The church is the problem. Number one. Number two. Pastors that got the seeker-sensitive movement and they just moved it into steroids, man. The original intent was a beautiful intent to reach people, but from the year 2000, it just got so far off where it just became a cool place to community. Didn't really look much different. You know what I'm talking about. It just got cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler. They tickled your nose with their messages. The Bible got so stripped down, it no longer became the centerpiece to where Christians could not hear anymore the voice of lies in this state. For the last 20 years, on our watch, we let the most perverted, grotesque things get infiltrated. And what I hear all the time is, I had no idea. What? That's happening? Do you know why that's happening? Because if you're not in God's word, you can't hear his voice. So you can't distinguish between lies and truth unless you're in the truth daily, weekly. And then prayer became a concept, not a reality. One-third fewer Christians attend church weekly now 
1933. And we wonder why what's happening right now is so devastating as most churches have shut down. The enemy is now, because of a lack of corporate worship, millions of evil lies are flooding because our guard is down. And now the enemy is trying to, it's got laws on the books to infiltrate our, our grandkids and our kids. So that, that he's all like, those are taken care of because now we have a demotic ideology that's now going to be taught to them over their identity. So, so we got that in the schools. So now all we got to do is shut the church down. Weaken it so much in its worship. Cut the people that worship, even if they don't even realize they are, by two-thirds. Do you realize right now two-thirds of the people that have attended church are not attending? Well, pastors are still, well, you know what, hey, man, it's a virus. It's, you know, hey, we got to care for our people. Uh, yeah, we'll reopen, but we're going to just wait. Every week that they wait, more Christians and more Christians are wondering, what's the point? Do you see it? It's time to take a stand. I want us to look at a few verses in Isaiah chapter 5 because of the lack of the church following these fundamental principles, disciplines. Look at what God says that he wants us to worship into by faith. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 4. What more could I have done for my vineyard, says the Lord? He says, I gave my vineyard everything. I gave myself. I gave my son. I, I established you on the rock, Jesus. He was the cornerstone. I gave you everything. All that is mine is yours. I, I saved you. I redeemed you of your sins. You're forgiven. You've been set free. Do you realize how amazing that is? It's amazing the good news is. Then I expected luscious grapes, and for a long time there were luscious grapes. But something happened. Now it only produces wild grapes. People are all over the place. All over the place. They're just wild. They love to complain or whatever, but are they gathering? God says, do not forsake the assembly. Are they gathering? They're just wild, worthless grapes. That's what I have now. That's why I need my remnant to... Awaken them. Verse 10. Indeed, even a vast vineyard. He's saying, look, I have vast vineyards. I have these massive churches. I have these mega churches. And, and he's saying, we'll only produce a few gallons of wine and several bushes of seed will produce only a bushel of harvest. What is going on? Isaiah 5, 13. Therefore, my people go into exile for a lack of understanding. Their leaders are starving. Their multitudes are parched with thirst. They go to church and they're hungry again. It's all fast food. You know what happens when you get fat, too much fast food? 
You get fat. You do. I, I got to stop every time. You know, you got that choice to make. In the natural, I'm hungry. Salad, McDonald's. <laughs> Double cheeseburger, salad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm sitting there. Scarfing down two double cheeseburgers, fries. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I lost that battle. But he's saying here, they're exiled not because of, a, of my power has been overcome, not because my truth has been overcome, not because I haven't finished the work on the cross. The enemy is under my feet. It's simply because... They're starving for the word. Isaiah 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Have you heard that lately? What's good is evil. What's evil is good. We don't even realize, but we're speaking prophetically something God wrote to tell us this. Hey, McFly, this, when this happens, know that it's really, it needs to get your attention. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who replace darkness with light and light with darkness. Has that happened? God is saying, God is saying, look. Woe to them, look, that's what's happened. Who replace bitter with sweet and sweet with bitter. Isaiah chapter 5 is calling the remnant to a level of worship that's warfare. It's intercessory warfare worship. And these stanzas, this outline of worship, is for a time in history. It's a midway time when there's just a couple of aircraft carriers that stand between the enemy invading the West Coast and our country being overtaken. And God is saying to his remnant, the line is drawn here, no more. We will stand. We will fight the good fight of faith. We will intercede. And I just love Isaiah. The prophet sings this parable, a song to the glory of his beloved, a a song about the truth of God's vineyard. Could you imagine Isaiah singing these words? I wonder where he sang them. I was, I was thinking of this. Did he sing them at the Feast of Tabernacles when the grape harvest was brought in? Or did he sing it on the tops of the hills, hillsides of Jerusalem? I, I just kind of wondered about that. He was he would have been considered crazy, right? Singing these woes and singing of God's love, maybe, but singing of these woes and singing of God's, our need to repent from judgment and just singing these songs. See, I know in the natural it seems odd to sing what a, a parable of a vineyard, but we must understand whenever we declare God's truth, Over the airways, the enemy is pushed back. 
Last week I talked about one powerful intercessor can push back 10,000. Then I talked about those even that just sing, not knowing, can push back 100 simply by just singing. 100 can push back 10,000. 100 just Christians singing, it doesn't matter what, what kind of worship it is, just the fact that they're together singing, 10,000 are pushed back. Here's my just final point of the worship team. I, uh, I believe that this is Christianity's finest hour, I really do. I believe that's why we're together. I believe that's why he's called us. I believe this is our finest time, and I believe it's time to take a stand on God's word to partner with heaven's agenda, to bring transformation to society and revival to our land, and it starts here in California, the dream that was California. And that's why you and I live here. That's why we're here. See, this isn't about us. It's about the legacy we will leave for a future generation. It's about the Jesus movement. The enemy tried to steal, kill and destroy, being revived so it can explode because there is a billion souls that God wants to rescue. McCole, tell us about that. Bring that up, brother. That's just rocking me, man. I want everyone to look at that. This is prophetic art. If you haven't experienced it in a while, it's when we're worshiping, this brother has an anointing to paint what the Lord is showing let me ask you, what do you see based on what I've shared today? Look at that. Yes, what else? Yes. A garden in chaos. Come on. What do you see? Fire. Movement. Hallelujah. I don't know if I can say anything else. What was the Lord showing you, or what were you feeling when you painted this? God was just showing me water and wood. Yeah. And what that looks like. It's not, it's not formulated, it's organic. It's just something that happens. And make choices, they have consequences, and God redeems them all and everything, and there's something beautiful out of our lives and out of our hearts, and we get it, like, like us, because we're not, but. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But yeah, that's, that's what he was showing me. Let's stand. Thank the Lord, huh, can we? Rocks on. Let's stand, and I'm going to close, and we're just going to 
sang over California and over this time. There is no accident you were here today because you are part of this remnant. You are part of the great, exciting move of God. All that we read about the impossible situations that God overcame, we get to be that generation. I, I just have a final thought as we close. I just want us to imagine. I don't know that this is true, but I can imagine it. When the Word became flesh, Jesus, and He stood over Jerusalem after the triumphal entry. Do you remember what He did? He wept. But I wonder if He also sung the words for Himself that He had Isaiah sing. Chapter 5. I don't know. But He's in you. And now it's our turn. Father, we thank you for this time in history and for this call of intercessory warfare worship. We stand in the gap and we come into this time knowing that you can do all things and the best is yet to come. The finest hour of your church is ahead and you thank you that you have called us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.